Good day. Welcome to Shepherd the Sheep. Today, the Cornerstone Pastors are in studio to talk about one of the greatest sermons ever recorded in Scripture. Welcome back. Yes, we are back. Yay. Back in studio, approaching the holidays here. Approaching the holidays. So we go from working one hour a week to 30 minutes a week. <laughs> yeah. People are going to believe you when you say that. So, Oh, yeah. Well, it doesn't matter what you say. So. That's right. Good yeah. point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Um, yeah, so here we are. A uh, little topic today. Uh, Gino? Yeah, you want to yeah. introduce our topic? Yeah, yeah. This talk is talk about uh, it a little bit. Yes, absolutely. So this is uh, apparently. I mean, we all have our favorite sermons, our favorite preachers that we listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, we men of old, men of current that have done great work, uh, have influenced millions. But you know, for we, we were to rank sermons, mm-hmm. which would be the greatest sermon ever preached, right? Um, that's an important question. Right? Yes. Because I think there is one. If maybe, if not the greatest, it's got to be. Right. It's got to be up there. I was trying to think when we said that, if I could realistically place it number one. Right. Well, what are their sermons were you thinking? Luke. Oh, okay. Which and one? then if Hebrews is a recorded sermon. True. Then you would also, at that point, it's like, how do you say one sermon Recorded in scriptures better than another. True. Well, you're, I know you're not a ranking guy. Yeah, but man, it's almost the New yeah. Year, so we have to rank. Ooh. Yeah. So this has to. Maybe yeah. what we need is a podcast of like we need a podcast clip show because every <laughs> famous sitcom had a clip show. Yeah. So we are on episode like forty. Forty. No, something? it's like it's, I think this is forty-two. I think. Oh, okay. Uh, I actually had it wrong the last time. And then every time I got to download them, I'm like, oh. So I need to just start looking at the website. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Um, yeah, you're not a ranking guy, but uh, ranking maybe guy. maybe the best, better way to, to, to phrase it is the, the most influential sermon the church has ever heard. I, I can go with that because I don't know that the early church thought of Hebrews as a sermon. Mm. Um, right. Yeah. And you definitely could say... That the Sermon on the Mount. Um, oh, you gave it away. The Sermon oh, I did. Mount. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think if, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like church history wise, Matthew was like the original book. It was the uh, most important book, right? Or yeah. at least at least the um, most referenced maybe? Yeah, probably. Okay. It was like the Romans of the, of the anti-Nicene fathers a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some, some church history above would be like, well, technically that's not entirely true, but. You know, whatever that doesn't actually guy doesn't make for good preaching. <laughs> well, actually, yeah, um, yeah. So I mean, th- this is a 
I, I know. So the, the, one of the reasons why I want to talk about this is because it has affected, influenced our ministry mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. significantly. Mm-hmm. Could you tell us, you know, because you preached through Matthew, you got to this text yeah. and you gave a little backstory. Yes. So could you tell the audience? Yeah. So um, I don't know how many sermons I did in, in the Sermon on the Mount. Me neither. I don't, I don't think I was here. Or if I was, I was towards the end. No, so that was, uh, I started the Sermon on the Mount uh, February 9th of 2014. Okay. And I finished the Sermon on the Mount um, December 28th, 2014. Okay, what was the, what, what, um, what year did you start? 2014. 2014, okay, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. 14, yeah, so, definitely was not here yet. Yeah, uh, now... That wasn't like consecutive because I would take um, breaks. I would take breaks. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to look here. Um, so you'd have. So you're looking through the archive right now? I'm looking through the archive. Uh, so 33 sermons in the Sermon on the Mount. Okay. And it, I mean, it, so it starts Matthew 5 1. Yes. Uh, ends at uh, end of chapter seven. Yes. Um, and um, yeah. So why why did you why did you because you've told this to the, to the guys? Why did you say that this was such a significant part of uh, how we are? How did it influence you specifically, and thereby influencing us? Yeah. In ministry, like what was unique about this sermon? Yeah, that's a that's probably a really good question. Um, so basically, you know, you, you preach the word and this is going to be the long answer, by the way. Yeah, do it. Uh, you preach the word and you, you know, you move on. You don't, you can't, you know, I mean, you could, but you need to move on. You can't sit there on five, nine for 16 weeks. Right. You could, I mean, you, you realistically could, but you need to move on. And it's it's like the advice I give to people when they're reading a book. Move, quit. You're reading a book. You're not reading the Bible. The Bible. <laughs> like as great as Piper, MacArthur, Platt, whatever. I don't know anything about David Platt, by the way. As good as their books may be, they're not scripture. You don't need to memorize every line. You don't need to underline it. That book's not meant to be re-preached line by line, thought by thought. Um, so even in some sense, like even in wanting to dig deep in the text, you need to keep moving. You mm-hmm. need to not just like, you know, what I did this last two weeks in John five by kind of camping out on one word in 19 and then coming back and re-preaching 19 a little bit and moving the football forward. And even probably this next week where, um, I'm going to come back into the same text and camp out a little bit more then slowly move the football forward. Um, I don't, I don't necessarily know that you need to do that every week. Okay. Okay. So in my thinking, you don't need to do that every week. Yeah. I guess it depends on the, the text, right? Yeah, I think so. And, and maybe, right. Like if you, um, you know, sorry, my chair was squeaking there. Um, Isaiah, just in case you want to know what that was, <laughs> um, specifically calling out Isaiah on that one too. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like you, John, Matthew, every book of the Bible has these 
I think, intentional themes that they try to bring up. Mm-hmm. And there is some overlap between all 28 New Testament books and the Old Testament books as well. There is some overlap of themes, right? God, God's sovereignty, the Trinity, faith, believe, response, obedience, like the, um, sin. Like there are some overlap uh, in all of those. But but when you're preaching through Matthew, you want to like, okay, what is Matthew trying to do? And you want to teach that. And so on one level, right, if, you, if you're just like, hey, we're going to every week – whatever subject comes up, we're going to try to exhaust that subject before we move on to the next theme or subject. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you're going to be in Matthew, right? It's like, you're going to, you're going to be that story in 200 years with like, Oh, some guy in Vegas, like preached Matthew for 30 years and he only made it to chapter four, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, but the problem with that is you need to keep moving and you need to let the theme come back up you need to let the other themes intertwine mm-hmm. and you have to move enough in my opinion to where those themes can kind of be there week in and week out. So that when you say something, somebody's like, Oh yeah. Cause you talked about that. Like you've kind of talked about that in passing in the last couple of weeks, but now here it's shining and then it goes to the background, you know, and it's there, but then that theme like kind of becomes prevalent again. So sometimes it's like, you know, it's like a snake in the water where it goes, or it's like an alligator in the water, right? Where you can, you know, the alligator's there because you can see its nose and its eyes. And then sometimes it comes up more and you can see its back. And that, that's kind of the same way. Like some of these themes in scripture, they're under the water and then they come up at times and they go back down underwater. Then they come back up and they, they reshow themselves throughout the Matthew narrative. Um, one of the, one of Matthew's themes is biblical leadership. Mm-hmm. And he actually brings it up in the sermon on the Mount, uh, especially with hypocrisy and leadership. But then later in chapter 19, he really starts to flush it out. And by chapter 23, you you get the sense that, like, by the time he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, like, by that point, you are, you, if you're following Matthew, like, you're kind of at this point where you're like, man, like, these guys are not the kind of leaders we need to follow. And so if, you, if you're too slow, you potentially, I think in my opinion, don't let those themes come out. Mm. Okay. So all that to say, you keep moving. So preach the Sermon on the Mount, and you keep moving. You know, now granted, we were in the sermon for almost a year, but we kept moving. But as the preacher, right, okay, so this week I'm done with with Matthew 5, 6, now on to 5, 7. And then that one's done, and now the next week on to 5, 8. But it's not like your time spent in that text stops. It's not like the spirit quits using that text to work in your life. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So the spirit still, you know, and then things come up and you're like, Oh, but, but like Matthew five, nine says different. Oh, Oh, that, you know? And so what, what basically starts to happen is over time, because you are slowly going, but not, not at a snail space. Some might say a snail space. Mm-hmm. That's fine. They can agree or disagree. But because of that, like you, you have these texts and these themes that kind of start to resonate with you for a couple of years. And at some point you, even as a, as a preacher have to say, wait a minute, does this text, should this text influence my life? Mm-hmm. And I think ultimately, you know, Matthew is 160 sermons mm-hmm. influenced my life. 
Gotcha. The last Matthew I preached was Matthew 28, 16 to 20, was preached on January 13th, 2019. The following two weeks, uh, preached kind of some themes that I wanted to go back and hit one more time. And then that was it. And then um, in August, I re-preached part of Matthew 8, 28 to 34. Um, I believe Jesus and the Gadarenes. Mm. And then I preached recently Matthew 5, 1 to 10 Mm -hmm. um, in the pulpit a couple weeks ago. So 163 sermons in Matthew. Mm -hmm. And and obviously that that Sermon on the Mount one a couple weeks ago is part of this. Man, this this text has been boiling in my head for seven years. Mm. Yeah. And it's right, so it's not like what you learned just drops and you move on with the next manuscript. Mm-hmm. Over time, you begin to counsel people, you minister to people, you try to help people, you try to serve people, you try to shape people, right? You're trying to influence people to think like Christ, to have the desires of Christ, to worship Christ, to, inf- to encourage people in Christ. You're having all of these. And at the end of all of that, um, right. The ser- this sermon becomes influential to your understanding of worship. All of Matthew is influential to my understanding of worship. John, same way. Acts, same way. Right. Every text, basically. Right. Hebrews, big part of my life. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, basically, now the short answer is it's just been marinating. It's gotcha. it's like a low simmer, right? It's that soup that's been on the pot mm-hmm. for over seven years now of my life. And it's there. Well, you know what's interesting about these these two chapters? You know, you think about a sermon, a preacher might have three points. Yes. Jesus has a lot of points. This he is does. a this is a multi-point, this is a it is. multifaceted, multi-point with sub-point sermon. Um yes. And so it makes sense why we always come back to the sermon because in our worship and how we treat people and how we do ministry with people, unbelievers, believers, there's so many themes that we have to come back to in this sermon. Yes. Right? Like anger. Gosh, I mean, who, who doesn't deal with anger? <laughs> it's murder. You know, anger is murder in your heart. Right. Uh, um, that's what we the guys talked about last, uh, last week. Yes. Such a great discussion. Um, but everything from anger to prayer to being salt and light to the Beatitudes, which is the first 10 verses that you preached on the other week, um, maybe that's what it is. Love your enemies. Yes. Um, I mean, how, that's that's a message we need to like have marinating in our hearts every day. If yes. you're on social media or watching the news or not watching the news, I mean, yeah. Um, so maybe that's what it is. I mean, it, there's so many useful, like, and here I, I don't know if you said this, but did you say in one of your in the sermon or in in in, in our discussions that. Jesus is basically exegeting the law or the heart of the law. Yeah, I think so. Because when you look at the, um, when you look at that paradigm shift in, you know, starting in uh, 518, right? Um, yeah, like no, where it says uh, 17, where it says I did, did not come to abolish, to abolish the law, but yeah. to fulfill the law. Yeah. Yep. The Sorry, law I, the prophets. Yep. you would think I actually literally have my Bible open right now, but I do not. 
I got you. I got so you I'm, back. I'm going by memory here. Yeah. So 17 starts. Do not think that I have come to abolish yeah. the law or the prophets. Yeah. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So then in 520 says, for I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And then all the way down in 548, he says, unless your righteousness surpasses, right? Unless you are perfect, like your heavenly father is perfect. Uh, therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And so he pushes that football forward, right? From the culture, right? Culture standard of, you know, the creme de la creme of righteousness. And basically, right, Jesus points out, listen, that your your righteousness, you think these guys are righteous, but they actually don't fully understand even the heart of the law. You're looking to the wrong standards if you're looking at the scribes and the Pharisees as the standard. Mm-hmm. So therefore, you need to look to the Father in heaven as the standard. And that, that's a pretty important point, honestly. Um, excuse me, because, you know, we we are prone to look at people and to think of different people as the standard of what it means to be right. And at this point in, in Jewish culture, right, the scribes, I mean, the Bible says, hey, the scribes and Pharisees were basically considered the creme de la creme of the people. Mm-hmm. And though they weren't, though they technically didn't have any authority, they were so influential in their thinking that they shaped worship. And so you, you know, and you see this in churches where there are some ideologies, right? There are some churches that the reason why they're on every hashtag bandwagon is because they can't get off that bandwagon. That's how they formed their church by chasing every, every hashtag issue. Mm -hmm. And so those hashtag issues become, the standard by which they do ministry. Mm. And so, you know, for them to then just abandon the hashtags and now start to put Christ up there would be a complete change of direction. Now that's the change of direction. I believe they should go, but, but that's, that's neither here nor there at this point. Um, The point is that we are prone to look at culturally. We are, we're, we are prone to kind of still let culture and other people define our standards when reality is that the Father needs to be the standard. That's really good. Yeah. Because the Pharisees were really pointing to themselves. They weren't, they weren't trying to point to God. Yeah. Now, in their defense, they would have said yes. Right. And their theology, actually, according to uh, Emil Schur, is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're, like, their understanding, like, they, they saw God as sovereign. They, they had a lot of things right. It's just amazing how they their emphasis was always on the wrong syllable. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So... Um, uh, character of God. Yeah. The, um, so the yeah, yeah. That like, oh gosh, sorry to, to stop your flow there. No, no, no. That's okay. Um. Oh yeah, it's the dog. The dog is a uh, calling. Gotcha. Are we on pause, Jay? No. Okay. Well, I I guess I'm going to keep rolling here with with the thought um but that's it is interesting that as we think about the pharisees and how, how jesus kind of um he was his his goal is to show us that this is not what ministry looks like ministry looks like christ and christ was trying to show us who the father was and basically if you wanted to know the father we, we need to know christ so the emphasis, right, in our ministry should be Christ. Yes. 
should be Christ and not maybe not not chasing the hashtag issues or anything yeah. like that. Though uh though still important yeah. um to understand and maybe navigate, but like you can't navigate it if you don't know God. Right. As well. So but this sermon's really helpful. Um and I think the reason why I wanted to talk about it was because how 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 you know influential it should be to the church. Yes. And how helpful it uh, really how much it helps our walk and really aligns the foundational thinking of a believer to who God is. Yes. Because um, if, if this is really the heart of the law, right? Yes. It, you're talking about the heart of God. Like, what does God care about? And he actually, like, if you, the one thing I love about the Sermon on the Mount, it, it almost boils down all the peripheral stuff to yeah. these very foundational principles. Mm-hmm. Right? Love. Yeah. Um, and they're in line, like you said, they're in line with God's character. They're in line with God's character. Yeah, and so now the most important verse in that sermon is that he's preaching to his disciples. So he's actually trying to teach his disciples. But you have to realize that the crowd is in the background too, and so they're listening in. And so he's trying to push them to quit, right? I think he's. I think you can say he is trying to push them to quit allowing the scribes and the Pharisees to be the standard, but instead to remember that God is the standard. Mm-hmm. So if you love like, and th- this is, this I think is why it's so impactful because, you know, elections have done an amazing job of bringing out publicly the sinfulness of, of many Christians. Mm-hmm. No offense, but some, some of you Christians need to really repent every election cycle because I'm not sure that you really believe that your citizenship is in heaven. And I, and I'm not gonna apologize for saying that. Like I think some of you think that America is your citizenship, and and this is your heaven, and it's not your heaven. That's a fair criticism. I think we oftentimes believe that if we don't fix politics here, yep, for some reason we're doing a disservice to God. Yep, and that's and what happens is we we end up creating enemies in the political arena, right. And we view their views as so destructive that it now condones our behavior towards them. Right. And, and my kids say to me, but daddy, you don't know what he did to me. Well, adults say the same thing, but you don't know what they believe. They want to ruin the country. It's literally the same logic as, as your kids in the house fighting. And again, I, I know I'm being kind of bold yeah. and maybe in some people's kitchen right now, but you you need somebody to get in your kitchen and kind of shake you up a little bit. And so I want to shake you up a little bit, not because I want you to feel bad, but I would want to shake you up to the point to where you go, you know what, maybe I need to rethink this because I think that's what Christ did in the Sermon on the Mount. Like, I think it it should shake us up a little bit. Yep. Yeah. And, and cause us to say, wait a minute. Am I allowing them to be an enemy and condoning my behavior of them because I view them as an enemy of the state? Yeah, because for the Pharisees, they, they viewed the outcast as the enemy, right? The, the sinners, tax collectors. Yep. The Gentiles. The sick, the weak. Yep. I mean, it's pretty sad, actually, if you think about it. Yeah, uh, the Gentiles. The Gentiles, Yeah. That would be me. Yes, and me. And probably, honestly, 99% of the people, or maybe only two people listening to this would not be included in that. Right. Yeah, okay. 
So when Jesus says, right, that um, you have heard that it was, you have heard the ancients were told you shall not commit murder, nobody is going to disagree with that statement. Right. And so if you put yourself in their shoes where they're kind of living their life and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, but hey, you know what? But I didn't kill anybody. I didn't, like, I didn't really kill President Biden. You know, I just, like, said, I hope he died. Well, Jesus keeps going. Whoever took that, that's who, don't, whoever splices that, that little bit of uh, audio there and uses it against us. Please listen to the whole thing now. Well, no, I mean, and they're indi- that honestly, their indictments on their own head for that too. That's true. So, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And so there, there you legit have right that if you're going to be mad, right, you have heard that it said you shall not commit murder. Whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. So there you have Jesus saying, look, you, you may not like President Obama. You may not like President Trump. Excuse me. You may not like President Biden. But to be angry with them puts you in the same category as, the, as John Wilkes Booth who pulled the trigger and shot Abraham Lincoln. Uh, yep. So you, you literally, in your anger, are in sin. Mm-hmm. Now you may come back with this like, oh, but you know, like it's a righteous anger because he wants a, he wants to do unrighteousness. No, he's like, you're not the judge. We're not the judge of him. Like that is God's president and God's president does right. Not, not that God condones all of their decisions, but just like God removes Saul at the appropriate time, God, God will deal with his presidents. I guess what you're saying is we don't have to be the judge of their actions today. Yes. So part of having faith is really believing that God will judge. And yes. I think Christians today forget that. And I get it. I get that it's hard because people, you know, decisions do cause deaths. Yes. And do cause like serious yes. repercussions from decisions that are made yes. at, at every level, really. Yes. And and obviously and I think this is this is where this gets even harder, right? Because we are not saying that by showing respect that you're condoning behavior. Right. Yeah. But I, but unfortunately I think uh, for, I, this is the problem with online discussion. Everything is put into either camp A or camp B and you either believe all of camp A or you believe all of camp B. And if you don't believe all of my camp, then you must be in those liberal, those, those liberal anti-God. Right shoes. You, you, you have to be in that camp cause you're not in this camp. And if you're not in this camp, then you're evil and you're in that camp over there. And I can't talk to you. Yeah. And I can't talk to you anymore. And I can't buy yeah. your stuff. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Can't shop at your, your store. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, so yeah, carry that right. Carry that just like, you know, one step further. And you know, like you think about like what, how does that shape your thinking? if you specifically take this text and say, wait a minute, I can't be angry with him. And then how does it shape your thinking? If you carry it one step further and go down to 543, but you've heard this, say, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. 
Now that also piggybacks off of five nine. Blessed are the peacemakers, for you shall be called sons of sons of um, you shall be called sons of of God, right? And so, right there, you have in the sermon. Not only am I not supposed to hate them, but I'm actually supposed to love them. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, right? And again, this is where if you set everything up in an either or dichotomy, you're a problem. Well, but by respecting him, I'm now disrespecting those people that he hurts. No, 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 you're not. You've got to answer the question, how do I love him and how do I love other people at the same time? Yeah. That's the problem that people develop. So how do you develop a mindset to where you you say, hey, how do I love both? All right, so that's the, the question on the table. How do you develop a mindset with uh, where you're able to love them but not necessarily... Um, not necessarily agree with their decisions. And uh, I, I think we have great examples in the Old Testament. I, I think of Daniel, who right, who stood his ground. Um, the three Hebrew boys who stood their ground, uh, they did so with, uh, they stood on their convictions, yet they did not disrespect the king. Um, so... There's a way we don't have to. We don't have to name call. We don't have to insult. It's interesting how how. Um, by the way, that's a really good point. Yeah. Because Daniel was respected the whole time mm-hmm. by the king, and he disagreed with the king. That's a that's a really good point. He didn't lose his he didn't lose his um his influence. Right. Yeah. So I mean, the king didn't even want to kill him. Right. It's interesting because, you know, like I hear my grandma's generation, you know, would say things like, well, I think we can respectfully disagree on this. Mm. And then at some point I kind of felt like that has escaped. But I think the Sermon on the Mount has, has influenced me to think that's actually the biblical way to think about it that we can respectfully disagree and that I can actually still love you and want what's best for you despite our disagreements. Right. Yeah. And so Matthew five, nine becomes huge for that. Blessed are the peacemakers. And so, right. I mean, here we are, you know, I'm, yes, I preached it a couple weeks ago, but gosh, I mean, I, the first time I preached that, you know, that was, um, March 30th, 2014. And that text has sat on me for quite a while to where at some point you go, wait a minute, are we as Christians really here? What are we here to do? We're here to evangelize people to Christ. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I, I mean, um, the, the church from the outside world does not have that kind of reputation. Right. Um, like, not right oh, now. yeah, not right now. Like they, I don't think they look at the church and 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 then say, "Let's go to them because they can work, they can figure this out, and they could." Like I feel like the church should be that kind of institution where the world, right, the 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 school boards, the government, they want to go to the church Mm -hmm. and they want to seek counsel because they know they're not going to get insulted, they know they're not gonna, you know, um, they're gonna be, they're not gonna be stabbed in the back, double crossed, whatever. Mm-hmm. But they're going to be respected, and they're going to have a um, a firm answer. Um, maybe a maybe an answer they don't like, but at least at least they're going to be respected. Yeah, and we we can't even do that most of the time. I, I would say. 
Yeah, it's very good. difficult. It is, and and this is where you know, you know, even in Matthew six, when he's talking about the hypocrites, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. And on the one hand, he's talking about their practices, you know, where there were people that would have these long prayers and really wanted to display their ability to speak in prayers and wow people with their prayers. And But the principle's still there that are you doing these things to be noticed by people or are you doing these things because you love God? And I'm, I fear that sometimes we join into the into the wrong crowd's voice because maybe we're scared of not looking right with the wrong with the right with the quote unquote right crowd. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like like and the, you know everybody always sees that picture where everybody's standing there doing the hill Hitler except for the one guy, and it's the circle around that one guy is like, but don't but be this guy. But in order to be that guy, you have to have convictions yep. before that time comes. Right. And and I do fear that Twitter and Facebook has allowed people to group together. And unfortunately, there are there are pastors that are in these clubs who say things, and it's like, well, but look, they're saying it over there. And then if you kind of even strike the chord and say, guys, is this the godly approach? they will outcast you as not being on the on the standing for truth inside circle, right. which is a weird place to be. And I do kind of wonder at some point, and I'm not calling, by the way, I'm not calling anybody a hypocrite, but I just wonder if you're trying to win influence with that crowd and you want to be one of those people and you want to be viewed as kind of a, a part of that, or if you're allowing them to justify your behavior, at some level, you are the hypocrite because you're saying publicly, hey, this is where we need to stand. This is godliness. But then your worship isn't the same. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So I think what you're trying to say is like their view of standing for truth is is you're kind of putting them in the same category as those who look godly. Yeah. Um, but are not necessarily, they've, they put the wrong priorities. They, they've, they've prioritized the wrong things, I should say. Yes. This is where, okay, this is okay. This is why the Sermon on the Mountain is so helpful because it grounds us. Yes. It actually grounds our priorities to the most essential, basic, godly, like foundational things. Um, and, and we make a big deal about, um, right, because that's the question with everybody. The question is like, well, how does the church supposed to navigate um, the corrupt, the corruptness that's happening in the world? Um, well, that's a good question. I think there there is an answer to that, and I've been thinking about this for a long, long time. Uh, but whatever that answer is, it must include character yeah. that is uh, that is firm on biblical convictions and still able to communicate in a gracious way. Yeah. If you can't have both of that, then I don't think you can be really influential. Um, yeah. Here, here's why it's hypocritical. Because we are to fear God, 
And the second you're having to act a different way to look the part, you're not fearing God, you're fearing man. Mm. And that's where the hypocrisy comes in, right? You, how do I say I love God and then walk out in the street and hate my, and hate other people? Right. Yeah. So that's, that's at that point, you may not be aware of it, Yep. but you are wearing the mask of hypocrisy. Correct. Because you're saying I worship a Lord who says, love your enemies and I need to adopt my thinking to love my enemies mm-hmm. and actually find a way to love my enemies. But instead I'm going to put on this mask because it's a good mask and it's a right mask. And look, even those people over there wearing this mask. Yeah. You're yeah. playing a role. Yeah. That's not really, it's it, and it's not really a role that represents what you're called to actually be. Right. That makes sense. Huh? Yeah. Because as a child of God, you have to represent God. Yes. And, and, and I think that's where Matthew has sat with me for years. If this kind of like, you know what? I'm okay being countercultural at some level. Mm. And not not like in the hipster, like trying to look countercultural. Like, Although you are a hipster. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, that's what Kyla says. But <laughs> but right, like the but but the hipster culture, like I mean what how we stereotype the hipster culture is these people didn't want to look look like culture, so they, they adopted their own culture, but it also became snobby with their culture. And at some level, Matthew, and I think the Gospels, is calling us to say, look, look, you're now a part of this. You're now a citizen in the kingdom of heaven. Act like it. Yep. And you're not going to be like the culture in a lot of ways. Um, but that's okay. Fight for the gospel and let the gospel be a big deal and let people know you for who you are in Christ. Yeah. And right, and that—that's why we had that. You know, when we had Chester on to talk politics, and that the point was brought up: how do you how do you call somebody an idiot, and then turn around and say, "By the way, I'd like for you to know Jesus Christ." Like in no world, you know, if you if you call me and said, "Man, this person's calling me an idiot," and now they want to take me out to lunch and talk to me about their God, you and I'd be like, nah, "That's probably not smart." Yeah. Yeah. So even wisdom would dictate not to listen to you after you call somebody an idiot, then turn around and want to give them the gospel, like. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. No, that's that's super important. Um, it, everyone wants to imitate God's wrath and yeah. anger, uh, but they haven't even they haven't learned to imitate His love and His mercy. Right. Well, and I, I don't know that we're meant to imitate His anger. Exactly. That's another. That's a, that's that's a, that's another thing. It's like where where does it say we're called to be wrathful like God or to flip over tables right. like Jesus? Right. Um. Uh. So yeah, I, I I do struggle with people who think that, oh well, the other balance, the other side of that is that you know, well sometimes Jesus was angry, right? And um, sometimes those stories show us a side of Christ, but not necessarily not necessarily are we to imitate that because we're not Him for one. Yeah. So yeah, and I mean, this is the whole sermon is really just filled with. You know, on the one hand, I think you could, you might be able to boil it down and kind of say the main theme is fear the Lord and follow the Lord. Um, you know, he definitely talks about having the right character, talks, he, he confronts hypocrisy, um, talks about relying on the Lord, um, and in relying on the Lord, uh, you know, not, not to worry about the things around you, um, but to rely on the Lord. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. 
right? And but seek first for the first ahead of that. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Um, so you know the interesting part about the Sermon on the Mount is it does confront our character. It confronts the heart of our worship. Uh, it confronts our motives. And it also directs us to be wise. Yeah. And I think that's the other part that, like, where this sermon has shaped me. It's it's shaped me in a lot of ways to look at heart issues, right? And so um, just because a man sits on the sideline and criticizes, you know, some aspect of the church, you know, their prayers aren't godly enough on my Bible study nights, or they don't they don't pray enough. Um, right? Like, what's at the what's at the heart of what we do, and is it the heart of what we do motivated rightfully? And are we still obeying Scripture? Hmm. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. it's not just about looking apart, right? Yeah. Another way to say is it is another way to say that. And by the way, this actually rolls into one of my questions, which is why is this important for ministry? Um, and many times, people's idea of ministry is behavior change yes. is the goal. Yep. And really, what we're after is heart change. Yes. And so this this is one reason. This is another reason for this. Make a case for this sermon, right? If you yeah. read any sermon today, read this sermon. Yeah. Um, because it it it. It, it reorients our priorities in yep. our ministry um, where the goal, yeah, it'd be great for that person to stop doing drugs, but um, have they actually learned how to love God and love others? Right. Because um, that's the true solution mm-hmm. to addiction. Yeah. It's it's selflessness, not selfishness, right? Right. Um, well, not, yeah. So for ministry, it's Matthew 6, 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father is in heaven. Okay, break that down. And so, you know, um, chapter 5, okay, you can have the right ethics. But if your motives aren't right, then your worship's not right either. Mm. And so like you just said, um, if ministry were just making rules... Uh, anybody could do it. But it's not about making rules. It's about shepherding hearts. And so the reality is sometimes you have, you know, you have individuals in the church doing the right thing sometimes for the wrong reasons. Oh, yeah. And when that's brought to your attention, you still have to shepherd that. Um, Now, to be fair, I think most of us have moments or days where we do the right things for the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think all of us are guilty of that. And in general, you're not going to like pull people aside and say something to them every time you know, you're aware of that. You know, I only did it because I know I needed to. And like at that point, do you really need to say, well, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of a hypocrite because you know, your heart was, no, you don't need to say something like, you know what I mean? Like they, they know, (laughs) you know, that'd be annoying. Yeah. If we did, (laughs) that was kind of like most of our, the way we treated each other or, or right? minister to one another. But at the same token, when you're shepherding people and you're teaching people, you are trying to drive at the hard issues. Right. Like what motivates you? Are you motivated? And in, the, in this case, right, are you giving to the poor and announcing it so that everybody can look at you? And by the way, the, the you know, some of these charity balls that are, that are, that get, you know, the Twitter highlights and 
newspaper highlights and they show like, you know, uh, Princess Meghan wore this $60,000 dress to Charity Ball. I don't Is she still even, I don't even know anything about it. She's in Canada now, right? Who's this? Megan, oh, know. Meghan Markle. Oh, is that her? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Is she still a princess? Uh, I don't, I think they renounced their. Oh, they did? Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Can somebody listening to this tell me? Now they're only worth a few million. Oh, but yeah, not like does that. the royalty still pay for them to do things? Uh, I don't think so. Hmm. I think they got their share or something, and they kind of cashed out. Oh, they're like the prodigal prince and princess. Yeah, but they get they have a Netflix deal, which is more oh, gajillions. Really? Yeah. Well, see, so what I just learned: if you have seventeen kids, you can have a TLC show. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of short there. Yeah, you, you need to keep, keep <laughs> going, to Jess. Jess, you need more kids. Yeah. Um, or if you renounce your your prince and princess, you can get a Netflix deal. Yeah, only a few of us can do that. Yeah. What's it take to get on Amazon Prime? <laughs> I don't, that's a good question. That is a good question. Uh, I completely just derailed myself. Oh, okay. So if you're doing things right, like some of these some of these people, they they go to these charity balls. Because they just want to be seen and they, they want to be known as charitable. Yep. You know, um, somebody, I, 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 can't, I can't give the details of the story, but I'll give part of the story. Um, somebody's talking to my wife about how we could raise money for a building. Ooh. Yeah, but it gets crazy. Okay. Okay. And so the guy was like, oh, yeah, this, this dentist, like, donated a lot of money to our building. And all he wanted was his name on a pillar in the gymnasium. Did he say how big the pillar has to be? <laughs> right. I know. And so he's like, so you never know. Just like, like go talk to some of these businesses around town. And some of them will donate. We'll just donate because they, they really, he said, at the end of the day, we talked to him about all these things and all he cared about. And he was emphatic. And, it, and so this is very popular, right? Where people just, hey, put my name somewhere where everybody can yeah. see it. Their legacy is what but they're trying to. Here it is, right? So you walk in and you're like, John and Susie Bell Smith. Oh, this is their this is their hallway or this is their gymnasium, right? right. Oh, they must have been really good people to donate this. But but at some level, and I'm, by the way, I'm not saying everybody, right? Because it comes down to motives. If you're just doing this because you want other people to notice you, then your worship is off. Yes. If you're doing it because you know what, Christ, I love you and I want this done, then you actually don't care if your name's on the on that pillar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in the Sermon on the Mount, right, in, in our ministry, this is how it shapes our ministry. Because we, we are trying to get, we're trying to help people understand who God is and follow him and his will so that whether the lights are on or off, whether there's other people in the room or not, you're doing what's right before the Lord because at the end of the day, that's who sees you that's who needs to be honored. And he is honored whether other people recognize what you did or not. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's how it shapes. That's, that's how this text shapes, helps shape ministry. One, keep peacemaking a big part of this. Two, right. Ethics do matter. Three heart matters. Yes. And so that's why you can't just have rules and say, okay, here, have your rules. By the way, those seem like very minuscule, but actually those are like boulders. Oh, those like are those, huge. Those things move ministries a completely different direction. Yes. If you, if that's like, if that's what we prioritize, yeah. 
And I think people, our people need to know this, right? Like, hey, those are big. Those are hills we die on. Right. Yeah, and we want to do this podcast, but that's one of the reasons why we don't have a bunch of programs. That's why we kind of um, try to have, we try to not be very programming. Right. Yeah, and a lot of that is because we want to grow together as a church, and we realize, like, programs are fine, and we're going to do a whole podcast on this, I think, but, like, programs are fine. We're not, I'm not knocking churches that do programs. Um, but sometimes people get lost in programs. Right. And we just want to make sure that people don't get lost as we minister Christ to them. So we, we try to keep things more less programmy and more like a church family. Yeah. I don't have a yeah. problem if the program is built around the strengths of a people. Yeah, yeah. It's a different thing. Yes, agreed. Yeah. Um, because I mean no what we do is is some kind of program. Yes, yes, that's true too. Yeah. But like uh, I think it's wiser to build it around what you're able to do and what you're gifted at versus like, you know, oh, that church has that program. We must do that that way. Right. Yeah. That's another discussion. Yes. Well, and ministries people. So, yeah. Um, yeah, we're not just trying to get you through the program and get you a certificate. Hey, I graduated from Cornerstone Sunday School program. Anyway. Um, yeah, so... You know, um, the other the other way this has shaped us is verse 14 of chapter 6. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Uh, another hill we die on. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if you can't go seek reconciliation with somebody, every reason based on this text to doubt your salvation. Yeah. And... You know, uh, we've unfortunately had situations where we've had to say, hey, are we sure this guy's really a believer? And we've had people say, do you think maybe that's being a little too harsh? And it's like, maybe, but that's actually what the text says. Right. So, yes, we're we're open to the person could be a believer. However, he or she at this point is not acting like a believer mm-hmm. because they're running from reconciliation. They're not pursuing it. Or they're trying to say... They're pursuing it, but they have so many nuances on how to pursue it that really they're not pursuing it. Yeah. Yeah. They're blaming other people for their lack of pursuing it. So, you know, it's unfortunate, but you will see this in ministry where people just refuse to go reconcile. And that's why with your spouse, with your kids, with co-laborers, co-workers. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, right, for me, at some point, it's just like, wait a minute. Jesus preached on this a lot in Matthew uh, 5, 9, 6, 14. Later in chapter chapter 18 is almost centered around the need to go reconcile with other people. It becomes a major theme in the book of Matthew. Are you willing to reconcile, one, with Jesus Christ, and two, are you willing to maintain reconciled relationships with other people? Very hard to do, but um, it's... Yep. it's, it's uh, uh, it makes sense because that's exactly how God treated us. Yep. So why would we get to enjoy God's grace and mercy yet not dish it out yep. to other people freely and yep. willingly? Yep. Um, and a lot the excuses that people come up with for this one, um, love doesn't take account of wrong suffered, so I'm not going to write them down. But on the flip side, some of them are really bad. Like atrocious. 
Yeah. Well, but he's done this to me three times. Hmm. There can't be a fourth. See, it was strike three. Remember, we said this at men the other day. Like, yes, baseball rules are for baseball, not for worship. Oh, yeah. strike three You're works out. in baseball. Yeah. That is not corporate worship. That's not body life worship material. That's not in the law. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. I almost want to caveat that just because someone's the the their spidey sense is like, what about you know? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I know. Yeah. Because, right, um, uh, you don't know what he did to me. I mean, there's some serious things that do happen between people. But we're not saying that, like, the relationship remains the same, like, after forgiveness and reconciliation happens. We're just saying that it's that important that you have to pursue it. Um, Right. And, and, you know, um, as far as you are able to, right, be at peace. Yeah. Um, other people said that too. Paul said that. So it's it's such a big deal. In Paul's ministry, Jesus' ministry, well, this is the gospel. Right? Yeah. So Yes. You're but, right. Yeah. It's it's a huge deal in scripture. Yes. It's a ginormous deal. Um forgiveness a big deal. Yep. Yep. I mean, chapter verse six twelve. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. How am I supposed to pray? Our Father, you are in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So there, there is right me literally asking, Lord, may your sovereign will be done. But I think that's also, you could also say like, Lord, help me to do your will. Right? There is a little bit of a like, I think it's fair to add that wrinkled nuance into this text that when you pray that you are kind of saying, Lord, I want to be a part of your will and doing your will provide us our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors Mm. and do not lead me into temptation, but deliver me from evil. So like I love being forgiven. I should love to forgive. Yeah. And like you said, that doesn't mean that you just sweep everything under the rug and pretend like it didn't happen. You know, some people are going to have to forgive their drug addict kids. And that doesn't mean that you just start leaving your electronics around the house and give them the key to the house again and let them come and go as they please. You know, you can forgive them and be smart too at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And yep. There's all sorts of situations, obviously, that are worse, abuse, and um, I mean, even like serious things. Like I remember watching that video of uh, that shooting in um, that church, that black church, where the shooter was is in court, and one of the uh, the members of the congregation, you know, was just weeping, like forgiving him while he was on the stand. Oh wow! Oh and, yes! And um, I just thought, wow, what a what a picture of mercy and grace. Um, I mean, I, I, obviously, I don't know if that's, uh, you know, I don't know if he was asking for forgiveness, but just the heart behind that—that that she was just willing to pour out mercy and grace towards the shooter, despite his, you know, the murder that he committed of several people at the church. Yes, that, that was. I just thought that was really uh, what a great example. 
That was powerful. And, and that person was mocked even by the culture for that. I think so. Yeah. How could you forgive that? He doesn't need to be forgiven. He needs, and it's like, man, here's somebody who gets the gospel. Yeah. And actually a powerful testimony because I believe the way, the, the way they framed that, they were like, look, if he were still alive today, he would tell you the same thing we're telling you. I think so. Yeah. 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 But um, yeah, you don't see that too often. You don't see that every day. I mean, that's murder and people right. have, people have not forgiven for less than that. Right. Which is uh, unfortunate. So, um, yeah, anything else in this text? I mean, I'm sure there's a lot more here, but like that's such a, that's such a big deal in our church and should really be a big deal at every church, right? So that um, people can't just uh, willy-nilly go from church to church thinking they could, like thinking just because, you know, um, like this this should be every church's like non-negotiable um I don't want to say rule, but um, important found like kill to die on, really. Right. So it's um. I mean, there's a lot. The thing about going through this, every paragraph has. Yeah, there's. You know, do not judge so that you will not be judged. That's From the way you judge, you will be judged. By the standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Yeah. Oh, the solid rock is on this one too. Yeah. So build your house on solid golden rule. I think chapter seven is a wisdom chapter. Uh, okay. And I do think I think this chapter seven has been influential in in our ministry because one one of the things that you know sometimes you again you like I you preach to these you study the text you keep going and then kind of experience comes up where the things you learn from the text, you're like, oh, I actually better understand this now. Mm-hmm. I better understand what he's saying, and I see how it's relevant here. And so some experience under the belt really starts to flush things out. And at some point, you start to realize, look, the text is very clear. It's very black and white in a lot of ways. The problem is the situations that we are often need to apply the text are not black and white. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we know this now that Yep. how many marriages... They're never black and white. Nope. Yeah. Marriage problems are never like it. On the one hand, yes, it's sin and you're sinning. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the motives behind that are astronomically different. And, you know, idols get, anyway, the, the amount of things that get revealed, right? It's, it's an onion with 6,000 layers and you have to peel it with yeah. your, with your fingernail. And I hate peeling no, onions. Oh, that's too. brutal. <laughs> yeah, I know. Cause then after you peel one layer and you work with a couple, like your hands stink like that couple for a while because yeah. you've been peeling the onion. So anyway, how's oh, onion such a great analogy? Cause you cry. Yeah. Yes. You cry, you cry, yep. brings tears and no yep. one likes doing it, but you have to do it. If you yep. want to, if you want to, you know, if you want some good food, you got to peel that onion. You do. You come home, <laughs> you try to wash it off and refresh and focus on your family, but you can still smell Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still on you. Yeah, it's still on you. So, um, but do not judge that you will not be judged. You know, obviously, this one's very popular and used in pop culture is, well, you can't tell me that I'm in sin. And that's not what he's saying here. Um, However, he is addressing pride. Mm -hmm. And so he is addressing people that like to indict other people for their standards. Ah, yes. You know, and uh, that's and, so political. Yes, that's, such, that's politics, right? Yes, here. and so the interesting part is that Jesus actually says, "If you're gonna do it, you will be judged by your own standard." <laughs> and the reality is that people that do this, yep. 
they can't see that they're actually hypocrites in their standards. They can't. Nope. They, they, I mean, the rule makers break their own rules all, all the, time. the time. No one keeps their rules that they make. Yep. Even themselves. Nope. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Um, but because they made the rules, they think they're okay. Yes. Yeah. So, and that's why, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but not, but do not notice the log, the roof beam that's in your own eye. And at the heart of that is this reality of like, you have made these standards that nobody else can live up to. And you're happy to judge everybody by these standards that nobody can live up to, but you can't even see that you don't live up to your own standards. Mm -hmm. The funny part is everybody around you actually can see you don't live up to your own standards, Mm -hmm. but because you crushed them for pointing it out, they don't, they quit pointing it out. I mean, that's exactly what the Pharisees were. They didn't realize they couldn't, first of all, they missed the mark. Yes. And and they couldn't live up to their own standards. Like this is the Pharisees Pharisees to the T. Um, and that same principle works both in conservative and and liberal circles, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's that they're, they're they're both rule makers. The question is, whose rules are they? Yes. And um, you know, whoever made the rules, though, they can't follow it. Yes. Now, if you really are paying attention to us you'll realize this text is at the heart of our expectation discussion. That's true. Do not expect, right? Because often what you expect of other people are your own standards. And so then you judge them and you get mad at them for your own standards, when in reality you're not living up to your own standards to begin with. And so verse 5 becomes the important part. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly the speck in your brother's eye the better thing for me to do is rather than expect you to be the kind of person I think you should be is for me to be the kind of person that I know I should be based on scripture and love you and serve you and honor you and try to be helpful to you in your walk with Christ. Yep. I, I think that's really um, all we can do. Yes. Uh, Cause if we, uh, yeah, the, 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 the whole false standards thing, number one, it's going to frustrate you. Yep. You're just gonna be mad at everybody, and um, but if you um, if you realize you're trying to live up to Christ's standard yep. and your expectations on yourself, then you can be mad at yourself. Yeah, <laughs> which is better. Well, and and you even realize that like he's not necessarily saying you can't have any standards for people, and he's not necessarily saying you can't discern and diagnose people. Yeah. Right, he's he's really saying make sure it's not your standards. But if you're doing this passage right, then we are looking at God's standards, and I am saying, okay, as a fallen being under the grace of God, how do I help you follow grace? Mm-hmm. How do I help you follow Christ with grace and mercy too? Yeah, it's more like, hey, we, we need to be here. Yeah, because we both like, yeah, we we're we're both human beings. We yep. both fall short. And um, uh, I probably have a log beam in my eye. Yep. But this is where we need to be walking. This is how we should be walking. Yep. And we should do it together. We should help each other out do that, follow Christ. Uh, it's way more helpful than like just trying to police everybody's behavior. Yeah. Well, and you even think about Matthew 18, that at some point the church has to remove somebody because that somebody's a professing believer but refuses to reconcile. So if we can't make any kind of judgments, then how do we do Matthew 18 and Matthew 7 at the same time? Yes. And again, so Matthew 18 should be done under the Lord's criteria, 
Mm-hmm. And then we as a church are saying, hey, listen, you based on the Lord's criteria, you are not seeking reconciliation. You are not seeking repentance. So therefore, the church is now all as a church coming to you to, to ask you to, to be ask you to repent and believe. Right. And so based on your unrepentance and your unbelief, we have determined, not judged, we have determined that you are not a believer. Mm-hmm. And therefore, we're removing you from membership mm-hmm. and are going to treat you like an unbeliever, wanting you to still be saved. Yep. So even then, our judgment is not punished. It's not a punishment. It is It is hopefully there to help as a, you know, if a person in his right mind should go, you know what, I'm not a believer. And I know I'm not a believer because the whole church has called me to repentance and I refuse to do what, what the Bible tells me to do. So, yes, I'm not a believer because I refuse to do what Scripture tells me to do. Yeah. Of course, sin never is that. Yeah. It's wise. never that clean. It's never that wise. Yeah. Yes. Somebody that says that is probably about to repent. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, I mean, that, that whole process of Matthew 18, it, uh, it, 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 it does bring out unbelief. Yes. If, uh, or repentance. I mean, that's the, right? So it's going to go either way. Yes. Um, and uh, yeah, because I, I think the goal, right, is that. Um, you don't want to, someone living uh, living a lie, um, and you want them to honor the Lord, and you want them to walk as a family. And if they're not a family member, they need to know that. Right? Yes, like, yep. Um, it it helps the church and it helps them. Yep. So yeah, it's, it's part of our service. So <laughs> do not judge, so you not be judged. Like we are not one. We're not judging, mm-hmm. but two. There is discernment. You know, if your spouse is a habitual liar and you're trying to bring this up and they're saying, do not judge me, you know, you're judging me. Again, the point of the text is not, hey, you can't come to conclusions and use those conclusions to do ministry. That's not what he's saying. Mm -hmm. But at the same token, there should be some level of, is it biblical? Standards, yeah, that's yes. true. Because right, you're saying it's saying it's 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 saying if you're going to judge, know that you're going to be judged with the same standards. Yep, that's and that's all. why I think that's what it's really right. That's yeah. kind of like in a nutshell, uh, it's a warning. Like it's like a warning and an encouragement to make sure your judgment standards are right. Yep, and for us, that means okay, what does the Bible say? And then know that there's still grace and mercy available, right? And repentance. And you think Jesus confronted the Pharisees multiple times on this issue. Right. Like you, you get onto me for working on the Sabbath, but you, you'll go work out. You'll go do things on the Sabbath too, if they're beneficial for you. Right. So in a way he indicts them for this, but on the flip side, it's just a crazy passage, right? (laughs) So it's, you know, but, but here for us at the same token. So again, you can see there's, there's a lot of depth to this passage. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's a, it's a call to have wisdom yeah, again, truth versus preference came comes out through this. Yeah. Um, am I judging you based on my preferences or my truth? Like as much as we joke about tacos and prime rib and other things, mm-hmm. habit, in and out, like we really don't care which one you prefer. Because at the end of the day, it's a preference. Yep. As long as it's the right one. Yes. No, I mean <laughs> it should be habit. Um, I have noticed that people that have traveled a lot tend to lean habit before in and out. 
Ah, interesting. People that grew up in like a West Coast bubble that don't know any better, they tend to pick in and out. Mm. <laughs> this might be a true observation. We, I'm just yeah. kidding, by the way. That was a, <laughs> that was kind of a low blow. The uh, who you know this living in a bubble thing. That was kind of a low blow. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, Too I'm slow there. Kidding. Yeah. Well, and I was I was going against the standard of measurement. Uh, yeah, I was kind of totally. That was all intentional, tongue in cheek. So. I don't know. Did you have, um, I mean, for you, Gina, like, because you weren't here when we went through this, so going through this with men's, what has struck you the most? Um, I think it's, these are all heart issues. Yes. So um, you can't, it, there's not really like, these are not meant, so you do have to apply these with wisdom, right? Kind of like what you talk about with seven, but like really everything here, you can't really, um, uh, it's 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 definitely not rule based. It's definitely heart centered, and um, definitely a section of of scripture that it addresses so many areas in so little and so so little words, really. So, like this sermon, like I said earlier, is so multifaceted, so many points. It's like this is like illegal today. You can't have this many points in a sermon. <laughs> so, uh, like if Jesus were preaching this, I mean, he'd be he, he'd be waxing eloquently for a long time. But I think he'd also have the ability to keep everyone's uh, attention, right? Um, but yeah, I think this section really, if if you were to um, boil down a lot of our hills to die on, it's it's all here. Um, and this is kind of like what our ministry is trying to look like. If that makes sense. Yes. So it, it's a great, like, yeah. Now, you know, that being said, I feel like we, are, we have to look at the other sermons in the New Testament now, now that you mentioned Hebrews. And, and I think we did a little thing on Hebrews a while back. Sure. Yeah. And yeah. the women are kind of going through it. Well, they just finished. Yeah. Um, what was the other sermon? You said, oh, Luke. Yeah, Luke, the, the sermon the on sermon the plane. On, oh, on the plane? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's right. Yeah. From Luke 6. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. I haven't really read that too much. Uh, this this has been a lot. I mean, this is the, obviously the more popular one. But um, is that where the prodigal son is? In, in no, that, that's sixteen. Sixteen. Okay. Yeah, fifteen or sixteen. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Um. Yes. Yeah, I, I think for me, right, uh, being in church for. I feel like our church, uh, f- focusing on these things makes our church unique. Yeah. Because, uh, at least from my experience, these were not these were not foundational. Right. These were not hills that uh, many churches die on, at least that I know. Right. They didn't make a big deal on these. And I think if you prioritize this, it helps. The, the path is so much more simple and clearer on what it means to follow Jesus. And that's what I want, right? I want to yes. know what it means to follow Jesus. And this is such a clear um, explanation of the heart of God for me. So that's how it's helpful. And it really does hit like a lot of just the heart issues that we all face every single day of our lives. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. been helpful. It's, and it's uh, horizontal and vertical at the same time. Yes. You're right. Absolutely. Like our worship, uh, if you want, if, if you're saying your worship is right before God, that means your relationships with man is right. 
Mm-hmm. You can't have right worship to God if you have wrong relationships with man. Agreed. So, and this this sermon confronts that. Absolutely. It's it's kind of interesting too because you know with the Reformation, you have justification by faith really emphasized, which is fine. I mean, it's a, it's an important doctrine, but I do wonder sometimes in our emphasis on Romans one through eight and justification has that de-emphasized relationships among some people. Whereas here, the Sermon on the Mount, you know, it's not, it's not a Luther kind of sermon. Hmm. It's not a, you know, insert your favorite reformed pastors, reformed message kind of sermon. Right. I do wonder what the reformers, how they preach this, like, right. because they were pretty, yeah, it seems like they, they didn't, <laughs> they're a lot more, uh, I mean, I, 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 it would be interesting to see what Twitter would be like if they were still if they were alive during. Yeah, Truman said that that the Reformation would have never happened had Luther had Twitter. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe it. And in my reading of the Institutes, Calvin is way more balanced than I think a lot of people realize. Honestly, there are online Calvinists who would accuse Calvin of not being a good Calvinist. Oh, yeah, because he's he's too balanced in some ways. Yeah. Like on the one hand, he believes in total depravity. And on the other hand, he believes that you should love everybody because they're made in the image of God. Amen. Yeah. Which, by the way, I agree with that. Yeah. But yeah. So, yeah, I actually think Calvin is way more balanced than the reputation of Calvin. Like, even people that hate Calvin, they tend to hate Calvin because they have a really bad experience with a quote-unquote Calvinist. Right. But if you really understand Calvin, then you're going you're gonna to be burdened for the lost and you're going to want the lost to worship Christ, and you're going to want to help sanctify believers. Right. Yeah. And Calvin, uh, he's, he's got some great sections. I kind of peruse it here or there when I get 15, 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So about every three to four weeks. <laughs> All right, dude. Did we yeah. do a good job on this? Uh, I mean, I don't see. know. There's always more. There's always every one of these is like there's always more, but I think because of the time and uh, – the, the obligations with with Bible study and to, to get this thing posted. And, um, you know, yeah. So if you have questions on it, let us know. There's there's tons more here, obviously, but we could say that everything. Um, I actually even would say that if you really want to understand the Sermon on the Mount, you need to start in four... Um, 18? No. Uh, uh, sorry, I'm scrolling on my computer, and it, the scroll is. You start in four twenty-three. Okay, and that you need to read all the way to nine thirty-eight. Are the uh, so are the. Because the, the situations after the sermon are connected. Yeah. Uh, so at 9.35 and 4.20, what did I say, 4.23, 4.24, are literally almost the same sentence. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel, the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Oh, gotcha. Then Matthew yeah. gives us the Sermon on the Mount. And then he gives us these different engagements in chapter 8 and chapter 9. Mm-hmm. But thematically, I think they're all related. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he was preaching the sermon as he went through these towns, like all the, you know. Yeah, like this was what he was preaching all the time. Yeah, 
Yeah. I mean, yes. Right, I think he preached this probably a hundred times. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The, the disciples were like, hey, we've heard that one before. Yes. <laughs> and and Jesus was like, the key to learning is? Repetition. <laughs> Repetition. Yes, sir. Yeah. And they're like, Jesus, when are you going to preach a new one? Guys, like, I'm tired from traveling. I was just going to preach the same thing last night. It's God's word. Yeah, I'm not trying to imply that Jesus being lazy, but it does make sense. If you have a message, it's not like that message loses its validation after you preached it once. Right, right. Maybe this Sunday I'll preach the same one I did last Sunday. Invert the points. Make them... (laughs) It's joking. No, I'll just change the the name of the points, see if anybody notices. There you go. Yeah. Easy Sunday for you. Yeah. I'm just kidding. I'll preach this. I'll, I'll sing the same songs. That's that's a little harder. <laughs> we what we should do is we're talking about it here. We should do it and see if anybody ever notices. That would be funny. We just we won't say a word. The week of April Fools, we'll do it twice. Same service twice in a row, and everyone walk out. Did we? I feel like we just did this. <laughs> yes, we, that's what we should do. We'll just yeah. one like randomly. You you won't know. Yeah, was that the same? Was everything the same as last week? Yeah. yeah. Was no. that deja vu? Yeah. Is it, no. No. And songs. we should wear, at that point, the only thing we should change is, like, if you wear a blue shirt, and I'll wear a red shirt, and then we'll flip the next week. Oh, yeah. So yeah. the only difference is the shirts we picked. I don't think you have a red shirt, but. I got a pink shirt. Yeah, that'll work. Yep. Dang. Actually, I don't know that they sell red dress shirts. Yeah, they, they, I've they seen used people wear, to. I've seen people wear them. They, yeah. That's the those are the shirts you see at the the chapels here. <laughs> uh, very colorful, very uh, red. I don't think I'd I'd rather do pink. Isn't that weird? I mean, I know that like normally it's I softer. grew up. Well, red yes. is very loud. Yeah, I think you know, growing up, men didn't wear pink, but it's a red shirt's really loud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, you want to wrap us up? And pink's not unmasculine. No, no. I think Jesus wore the same robe. <laughs> yeah a couple Sundays in a row maybe I wouldn't be surprised yeah why well, can't it just be like dogs we just have our fur never changes that would make it easy too easy that would make it too easy wouldn't it yeah, yeah. alright are there any are there any questions my uh, dogs who were annoying in the beginning have now calmed down yeah sorry about all the yeah that was crazy uh, it happens. All right. Well, until we have a non-home studio, um, yes, happy Thanksgiving. Yep, happy Thanksgiving. Um, enjoy your families. Yes. Give them the gospel. Yep. Be patient with them. Yep. Kind. If you know somebody's coming to your dinner that's weird, just embrace the weirdness. Yeah. Like, just rather than fight it, just, it is who they are. Yeah. Love them anyway. I heard someone say there's a difference between being nice and kind. I agree. Because kind is gener- generosity. Yeah. So, uh, and nice is just like, it's almost like you can wear that as a mask. Yes. Yeah. I think that's kind. why flattery is so bad. Yeah. Because it looks like niceness, but it really is, I'm going to tell you what I think you want to hear so that it'll be for my favor. Yeah. That's flattery no good. Yeah. All right. I'm going to punch the exit button. All right. All right. Love you guys. Here it goes. Love you too.